Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my embodied parenting group and my embodied nutrition group. The embodied parenting group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape, like some of you have told me it is, and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there. On today's episode, I welcome back my team, Camille and Marika, and we talk about a bunch of stuff. I remember one of the first things I learned like stupid early in elementary school or middle school was um, early is on time. On time is late. Late is fired. Like, why do I, as a nine-year-old, know that? (laughs) And a nine-year-old with a flight response. Yeah, the last right. thing you need to hear. That's the last thing this Virgo, this nine-year-old Virgo with a flight response needs to know. Okay, got it. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast. I am your host, Luis Mujica. I was sick and depressed until I discovered that I could make music, and then my whole life transformed because I began learning how to listen more deeply. Listen to life, to the people around me, and to my body. And that's when I realized that the body speaks through sensations, and learning this new language meant relearning my body and mind. I soon healed myself of many chronic conditions and then began teaching others how to do so as well. Holistic Life Navigation combines nutrition, self-inquiry, and somatic experiencing to help you release stress and trauma just by listening to your own body. This podcast serves as a place to share my experiences as well as the experiences of many others who have healed and are healing through unique, unorthodox, and unusual ways. Your time to learn begins now.
I'm joined by my wonderful team again, Marika Malaya and Camille Leek. I'm eating cashews, and I just got them walking with my best friend. What's going on, y'all? Not much. Living the life. <laughs> Living la vida trauma. Just got done with the medical trauma webinar. How was that for you? Like, what what was that like for you? It felt like reliving, you know, a lot of my own medical trauma, um, which, you know, is certainly I've gone through while working with you. So, you know, but it was also great. I was really happy to to see people responding in the way that they were and really open to, you know, what you had to say. Um, especially with kids, like with the kids at the end, it's like how you prepare children for, you know, scary things, basically. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I was one of those kids who they had me underneath the chair, holding me down so they could get, you know, needles into me type of thing. Later on, my mom was like, we should have just taken you home (laughs) and then come back another day, you know? Yeah, but I love the idea of prepping. You know, I wish I'd done more of that with my with my son. Yeah, if you're all interested, who are listening, if you go to the website, there's a replay of the medical how to move through medical trauma. It's a webinar. Um, we just got off it what two hours ago or so? An hour ago? It was an hour ago. An hour ago. Wow. Yeah. yeah so that, um, that was really powerful. It was, it was, it's amazing to me. I don't know if it's, if you two are noticing this, but more and more, whether it's a course or a webinar, it seems like the collective bodies are really getting the somatic work much faster. Right. You You can tell also in in, in the questions, like I remember I used to get very, let's say week one in the course questions, you know, like, what does it mean to be in your body? You know, that type of stuff in these webinars. And I don't get those anymore. And I'm not sure about Camille. You know, I feel like people are really dialed in. I do too. Yeah. I think, um, like you were saying, not getting the, what is it? What does he mean by relate? Like, I'm not getting those kind of questions any anymore. They're actually like really nuanced and engaged uh, or not engaged, but digging a, 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 a little bit deeper. So yeah, yeah I've, I've noticed that shift as well. Well, it feels like so many more people are trauma-informed, even if it's not yeah. through us. Like, all the memes I get from every person on Instagram is like a therapy meme. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I will even just say over the last, what, last year and a half or so since I was inter- introduced to the term somatics, you know, like I found out what that term meant. No one else I met knew what that means. And over the last six months or so, I found myself introducing myself to people and I say, oh, you know, like I'm kind of in somatics and that. So, oh, I know what that is. I know what somatics, I love somatics. So it's just been interesting just in over two years to see the shift of that. Yeah. It's amazing. It's it's really from the pandemic, isn't it? I think it so. I think right? that's a big part like of it. Like the accessibility yeah. and mm-hmm. all the Zoom conferences and the Zoom webinars and the free summits and everything that people have created. Because I agree, like five years ago when I was studying, no one knew what it was. It was it was like a big part of the work as a therapist or coach was how do I even do this with clients? Because it's weird to them. Mm-hmm. Now people are like breaking down the door to do somatic work. Like I like Marika knows our entire referral list. They're all at capacity. Like there's no one to even refer anyone to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing. So I, I love seeing this, especially in America. I love seeing people getting back to their bodies because... 
you know, we are so ruptured from colonization that it's beautiful to see that return starting to happen. Yes. Well, and I also feel like when else in my lifetime have I been stuck with myself for two years inside? (laughs) No, totally. That's so true. You know, confronted by whatever or, you know, you know, I'm married. So like working that out of, you know, being around each other a lot and... You know, I mean, I know a bunch of people who broke up <laughs> and got divorced. Oh my God, absolutely. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, yeah. I think like COVID, uh, I've talked to other folks about it. And for me, COVID was just sort of this global near-death experience for everybody. And I found that over the past two years, a lot of us have just been reevaluating and reassessing because we all went through that regardless of what our individual experiences with COVID may have been, it was that, that great pause. Uh, some people refer to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the reason we see like the great resignation and all these other huge shifts that are happening. Cause this huge life changing thing happened for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when, when Trump was um, elected, I remember I saw a similar thing, um, not not the same expression, but this big catharsis that occurred where people were like, people are still racist, really? Like there was a, like like no one had any idea that there were yeah. these groups of people in the country. And I found it really helpful, actually, that someone was elected that represented these people so we could actually see their existence and not just deny or even repress them, but like learn about them so we could transform it together. I'm wondering what you two think about that. <laughs> I saw your uh, eyes get big, Camille. <laughs> yeah, no, because I had a very similar reaction post-election. I mean, I will be very honest, leading up to the election, like really, really activated. And in fact, my response to the election uh, was part of my healing journey and just really realizing I didn't want to be that invested in one individual and, and all that kind of stuff. But part of my realization in the healing journey was that this could be really good for us. Like this could, this, this, uh, what, what good could potentially come out of it? It it, it could be that realization. And I think COVID is absolutely, it's had a really, really bad impact on a lot of people. And it's had a really, really positive impact on a lot of people too. And I know that can be really, really triggering for for people to hear whether it's regarding Trump or COVID. And I fully recognize that. But for me and my, my experience and observation, there have been positives that have come out of both of those, those situations. Mm -hmm. Where do you go with that, Marika? Um, I would agree, but I think my, my timeline was different. I fully engaged in the rage and the outrage and the constant social media cycle and getting validation for believing the right things and, you know, and didn't see that cycle that I was in until I was out of it, you know, and what I didn't have language for, but I got this year from, from you was what am I tuning to? And once I see what I'm attuning to, it's hard not to see what others are attuning to. And so it's hard because I have, you know, some people in my life who constantly want to be on this chaos train and I don't want to be on it. I used to because it felt like we were, you know, uh, bonding or, you know, trauma bonding or whatever it was. And so 
I've just had to sort of step away from those people because they're in whatever part of the cycle they're in. You know, I hope that they kind of make it to to the part where it's like, oh, this doesn't have to be my every day. It doesn't have to be the thing I think about the minute I wake up. The only thing I talk about with my friends, the only thing that, you know, gets me active and, and wanting to fight. You know what I mean? Like, and so I, it's been interesting as a practice to, um, to attune to other things, you know, especially since, you know, I love Instagram and I like being on the internet and stuff, but I get to have a different relationship with it. Relating comes into it more now mm -hmm. rather than just the reflexive reaction reactions that you're kind of used to getting, mm -hmm. you know, like on Facebook or whatever. So yeah, well, I, have a question, I, think actually. Will, I think it was good, but what is your like what for this question for both of you what 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 is your relationship to media currently like how do you is it an open relationship <laughs> is it like are you are you monogamous <laughs> like poly are you avoidance attachment like what how do you show up you know do you have rules about it i'm, I'm so curious how you two navigate so I like to talk I about that a little Camille, bit. Because I don't, you're, she's not on Instagram, right? You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's why. Camille's not even on the iPhone. So it's like, Camille, I'm like, Camille, what do I'm you do? I'm a joy. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm like, yeah. Facebook and LinkedIn. That, that, that's, that's my socials. I don't, I don't do, I don't do the, the TikTok, none of that. So, I don't do that either. Mm -hmm. And uh, my relationship with media has been shifting um, because I did find myself getting sucked into the 24-hour news cycle leading up to the 2016 election and then right when COVID happened. Um, and I realized, like, I didn't, I didn't like being in that space, that it wasn't serving me. Watching the news, uh, doom scrolling on Facebook, 24 hours a day or for the 16 hours I was awake wasn't really serving me. So there were a couple of changes I decided to make. Um, I will, if something happens, if I find out about it and I want to check in, I will watch a cable news source, but just for maybe 30 minutes or an hour for me to find out about what's going on, because all it is, is that they're just rehashing the same thing over and over again. So once I get the information I need, I choose to leave. I also decided to take social media off my phone so that I engage on LinkedIn and Facebook only on my computer, on my desktop, so that mm -hmm. I'm not in the, the doom scrolling or mm -hmm. just sort of mindlessly getting sucked into that space. It has to be a really conscious effort on my part to go into those spaces because um, I found them just to be really um, a mechanism by which I was just getting sucked into sort of this perpetual doom and gloom of what was going on. And it really, like I said, what wasn't serving me, um, especially like the, when uh, events related to black people, people being killed by neighbors or police officers. Again, I, I want to know when those things happen, but it wasn't serving me to watch replays, especially when they, when the events were recorded, it wasn't serving me to watch uh, individuals be beaten or killed over and over and over again. See that that part's really important to me, the over and over again, because I I wonder, and I I want to hear where yours is in a moment, Marika, your relationship. I, I wonder, there's this um there's this trigger response people will get sometimes if I say or someone says like I don't I don't watch the media, mm -hmm. or I take a break from it, or I limit my exposure, and they say, 
um, you know, like you're being very Pollyanna or you don't know what's going on in the world or you have no empathy. And I, I find it interesting because my personal experience of being hooked on the media, because I went through that too, is what you said, there's a replay of an event weeks after the event has occurred. And there's, you're essentially watching people talk about the event. And you're just witnessing, you're like the secondary witnesser of a traumatic experience. And I guess what's strange for me, what's strange for me is, um, it's almost like this idea that because I'm watching, I'm doing something about it. Mm -hmm. And so I get curious about how we get tricked by our bodies, by watching people be angry on TV, whatever it is, that, well, I'm a good person because I'm aware. Um, but I'm more curious about if that experience creates like a rage or a disconnect in me, what's, what am I able to contribute to even my community or my household, you know, from that state? I agree because i i get some similar responses and um about how oh you're just you're you're uh digging your head in the sand you're 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 not really engaged or you're dissociating and it's not dissociating in my opinion and, and we've talked about this before it's detachment i'm not attaching to this event or i'm not attuning to to that event and like you were saying, I've, I find that you're not really getting more information about the event. You're just watching more people rehash their, their observations or their opinions about the event. And in most of those cases, they're coming from a very activated state themselves. So you're watching a highly activated individual pontificate about their reaction to this event. Um, and I think some people can find that very cathartic. And we've talked about catharsis. Um, that can serve a purpose. But when it's not embodied, and this is what I find a lot of people are doing when they're in that doom scrolling or if they're just constantly watching 24-hour news, you're not in an embodied state. You're, 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 you are dissociating. Um, and that, that isn't, in my opinion, awareness. Um, you know, I can, I can know about an event and not be sucked in to it, uh, constantly. And in fact, by able, in my opinion, my ability to detach from that event now allows me to mobilize and maybe even react in response to it. That's my experience. Where is that for you, Marika? Like, what's your relationship to media, and how do you experience it being dissociative or helpful for you? Um, I I feel um, my relationship to media has been really really layered, I guess, and especially since I worked with social media and with clients and branding and marketing and all the stuff that you know, and algorithms and the whole thing. Uh, and it, at the time, it really made sense to me, you know, because this is how you get yourself out there and, um, and, or run your business, you know, like you have, have an Instagram. But I think what I was thinking when you were talking was social media for me and media feels like an empathy killer, you know, like I don't naturally tap into that watching the news, watching people's, you know, what are the stuff, you know, videos online or like Camille said, you know, people, marginalized people, you know, in our, in our system, in our society. Like I found what I was doing was just attuning to all the terrible things in the world that I couldn't control. And then there's no repair when it comes to social media. Like that's not available 
not really in any way that I've seen. You know, I, I really like the the therapy memes and like the stuff where people are talking about vulnerability and you know poetry and all the stuff that I think the art, you know, the artistic things, creative stuff that that gets me going, you know, and lights me up. But it's so inundated with so many traumatic and trauma based things that are happening in, in the world. And so I really have curated my, like who I follow and stuff, as I know you have, where, I mean, I still follow a lot of people, but as I'm, when I'm seeing stuff that I'm like, nope, I don't want this in my life right now. This isn't helping me. This is going to take me, distract me from what I need to do today. I'll either, you know, unfollow or I'll hide them for a while or mute them um, so that I can really, I'm trying to figure out how to connect with people better in an, in a new way because all I really know how to do is you send this article which is just mind-boggling that somebody would do this to another person and then we all go like oh my god you know and like but that has nothing to do with we don't repair and then we don't actually do anything about what happened you know I'm it seems like when you share it in your mind that's what you did <laughs> And I would rather be, you know, donating or learning more about something or volunteering. You know, um, I just realized I was using social media to bypass all of that. And I really love that, especially around the repair piece. Mm -hmm. You know, because I think that's what interests me the most. So this is why I love Ianla Fix My Life. Because mm. <laughs> there's like <She's> this... <laughs> There's these these episodes have these huge catharsis, right? And there's like traumatic experiences and people are screaming and crying and sharing really vulnerable, like raw things that happen to them. And then she's there to be like, okay, we're all going to breathe. We're all going to feel this. And there's like a minute or two of just watching people breathe. That's very rare on a television show. That's why I actually love Oprah, because we think of all the talk shows in history hers was very regulated. It was like these moments of peaking and then coming back down. There was this balance of... Yeah felt sense, space, humility, humanity, and catharsis. It was all there. Whereas with social media and with the news, there's just this kind of constant activation without the invitation of rest and repair as well. Right. And, and I find that to be the part that's most, that's the, that's the most difficult part. It's not what's happening in the world. Like if us three were hanging out and we were saying, oh my gosh, this horrible thing happened in my town, there'd be this like slow processing together of it. And then we would emerge with what we want to do or not. But when you're watching it, it's not a relational conversation. It's it's just hitting your nervous system and it's so activating. So I like that you're bringing in the repair piece because I think that's good to notice for people listening. When you're taking that in, notice, are, is there an invitation? Is there a moment of repair or is there a reflexive sharing? And what we're really sharing is more activation. We're not sharing our feelings about it. We're not sharing how we want to sit with it, what we want to do in response. We're just kind of perpetuating unknowingly that that activation onto our friends. Yeah, you said that, and all I thought of was how many all the different posts that people will, you know, have something with a quote or have something with a opinion, and then and then their contribution is writing this. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember doing that, you know, but I, you know, I'm not quite sure, you know, or like one hundred percent or you know whatever it is. I like this. And, and feeling like I, I just did something, you know, and like, uh, yeah. like maybe you're letting people know like what's going on in the world, mm -hmm. but like everyone's kind of connected to the internet. They can probably figure it out on their own. Like, I don't, that's where I switched. I don't need to be 
I'm not your newscaster, mm. you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, and I, I really want to go to social media and feel good, you mm. know, and that's not necessarily always guaranteed. Totally. So who I follow and what I'm following and what do I tune to is really important, you know, so that I can get that experience when I can. Yeah. So those of you listening, we're just kind of like freestyling today. We don't have, <laughs> we don't have a topic, but I think Camille has a list. Lista. Oh, yeah. Do you have yeah. it? I'm curious what else is, is this there. like a rapid fire? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Find out, right? Um, it actually, this was coming up for me as we were talking about um, the media, but one of the first bullets I have on my list was curiosity versus judgment, which we talk about a lot um, in HLN. And for me, that that does, that that ties with the media because feel like it's really activating because most of the pundits are in a place of judgment as opposed to curiosity. Like very rarely is it a panel, like let's just like, let's explore. Like what does this event mean or what impact it's no, I have this perspective. It's right. And my job is to convince you and others that it's, it's right. Um, it's so yeah. Curiosity versus judgment was one of them. I think that's a, I think that's the kind of a great, leading inquiry when we're watching media or even talking to a human or we're telling somebody a story mm-hmm. like is this being presented to me am i presenting it with curiosity or am i trying to really project my belief on the people and make them believe it because it's 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 just another form of gossip like the situation happened but then everything all the meaning making who we think the person is like all these things these are per individuals fabrications like we haven't sat down with that person and learned their story and i i'm sure you two have known but i've known a handful of people who lost their their um freedoms their money their families were broken up by you know reportings about them that weren't true at all um, because of what people would think the way they were with their kids or the things they said in public whatever it was and so there's just this i think the curiosity piece is is always kind of my leading inquiry is there curiosity here? Mm. It feels so good to be curious, but it also feels vulnerable and it doesn't always feel good. So we don't like it. It does. And I, the, the, the thing that comes up for me of, uh, with curiosity, with a lot of this trauma healing work is it feels good, but it can also feel boring. That's how I feel like a lot of folks in in, in media would feel like judgment sells. Judgment is exciting. No one just wants to watch a bunch of people be curious. Um, And and so I I think that's a part of it too. As as a collective, we have to understand the the overcoupling we all have with, well, judgment is exciting and I want to be excited. If I'm not, if I'm in that settled space, that's boring and we don't want to be boring. Oh, I totally feel that. Like I, it, going from a period to a question mark, you know, is sort of Love the that. difference for me where I'm like, what I'm thinking in or exclamation point, like it's the difference between why did you do that? You know, which can be a very activating <laughs> to tell me more, you know, <laughs> or, you know, what, what was that about, you know, or that mm-hmm. type of thing. And yeah, that is, it can be boring. <laughs> I mean, you know, if you're used to like really high energy, you know, exchanges and like 
especially people who have like big personalities it's like and i've and i've always felt like you know that was how i was that you had to have you know big opinions loud ones you know you had to know your stuff and i'm like now that i'm older i'm like i don't know anything (laughs) that's so nice yeah i mean it is kind of nice because i just i can't believe i kept like trying to pretend like i knew it like i don't know who was <laughs> you know what i mean i don't oh, think i was, I was fooling anyone but... i was so good at pretending i knew everything yeah when, oh I... my friends would be like you're so wise and i'm like oh my god i fooled them again like <laughs> well think of like the <laughs> think of the dopamine hit we get of, of knowing like mm-hmm. the illusion that we know someone or something like it's a real dopamine hit it excites us and yeah. I, I was that you know byron katie's work was so incredible for me because I started naturally just putting a question mark. Like, I love how you said that. I started putting a question mark at everything. So I looked mm-hmm. at someone, I was like, you are rude. My mom would go, you are rude. And I'd be like, and I think, oh, they're not rude. They're hungry. <laughs> and it turned into this whole other reality of like, you know, why, why must people be bad? Why are we so mm. obsessed with like, there are good and bad people? Like, I just don't follow that binary. Yeah, I get stuck in the Pollyanna category a lot because where my friends will be like, can I just please complain about this person (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah me too because i'm like well maybe they have trauma maybe that you know (laughs) things like of course i'm not going to bypass stuff like abuse you know and that and and like really really um serious things but it's i i can't look at people as just one thing anymore Mm. you know i mean i'm not one thing so i don't know why i would ever think other people would be you know a colleague to me said to me the other day no no louise People are just assholes sometimes. Stop. <laughs> I've actually thought that too with you when you're like, I can't be mad at anyone. I'm like, but well, what about that guy down the street? Like, <laughs> I don't like you, I, but it's yeah, like, what about that guy I dated? Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just so funny to me. But yeah, I, I can be a very frustrating friend for that reason because people mm-hmm. think I don't have empathy. Um, yeah. I shouldn't say people think I don't. Very few times people will say, that didn't feel very empathic that, you know, you wouldn't follow me into that anger. And mm. I was like, I oh. see your anger. I feel your anger. Like I'm feeling you. I'm not going to join you in the anger that to me, that's very codependent unless mm-hmm. I truly feel anger. You know, I, like, what do you two think about that? What, or how do you relate to people that way? Yeah. I, um, <laughs> had a similar experience after so p- post the 2016 election i decided i wanted to just readjust my my um attunement to to the election media all these other things so then like there was a 2018 midterm election and in my state there 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 was some race like i can't remember now but it was like really contentious or whatnot and um you know my quote my side quote unquote lost you know so be it but the next day i got all these texts from different family members and friends like oh my god i can't believe you're even folks who didn't live in the state that i can't let you believe your state let this happen or even folks in the state were just like oh my gosh what are we gonna do and i was just like well i don't know what y'all are gonna do but i'm about to go eat some cheetos hot cheetos or original cheetos you're an original kind of girl i am an original kind of girl um but it was just interesting to see in my body how i shifted like i i woke up that day and i wasn't activated but then 
a swarm of people were. I was like, oh, oh, I'm supposed to be upset, yes. but I'm not. Yes. I'm not. Yeah. I know. It's. It, I think mm-hmm. we truly believe if we're not upset, we can't transform something. Yes. Right. Right. So then if I've you're gotten, not upset, I've gotten. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, you're already over that. Right. Right. Like, right. Well, it was five years ago. So <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like I've moved on to other things to be upset about. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's interesting too because I, I think the reverberation of things. How long do we let them reverberate inside of us? Mm-hmm. You know, especially when it, the reality is there. Like when something has shifted in a way we don't like, and that's the new reality. It's like, okay, do I fight the new reality or do I transform with it to the next thing and shift that? And, and I don't know about you, but if, as someone living in America, I find um, I find it to be like a real spiritual practice, like. When a political event happens that is against my belief system, I actually use that to connect with the other side because they're going to experience that in two more years or four more years where something's going to shift into something I love and it's going to be feeling oppressive to them. It's, so I feel like there ha- this kind of volleying back and forth of values and shifts and kind of like how bad that feels for us. Well, it also feels bad for them. Could we connect around that? And what could that do? That just interests mm-hmm. me. For me, there's like a nugget of fawning in there when it's like a good person feels bad about things, mm, you know, yeah, like totally. collectively, you know what I mean? And if we totally. aren't, then why, why don't you, be, it's too binary for me, you know, if you don't, then you obviously don't feel that, you know, you obviously are on the right side. Well, there's, yeah. there's not, there's nuance <laughs> too. Yeah, you know? I agree. So yeah, it's a, it's a very strange place to be in where I'm I see a lot of my progressive friends doing the same othering of conservative people that they're complaining about conservative people doing that's right and I'm just sort of seeing the same like obviously not obviously but my value system is more in line with you know my progressive friends um you know like freedom for all and rights for all but I don't take it that personally when other people aren't there yet you know, mm-hmm. like at some point I wasn't there yet. I think of the most embarrassing things that I did when I was younger, you know, oh my goodness. in terms of other people or othering someone or like asking a question that put people on the spot or something. Um, and I learned, mm-hmm. but we don't really give any runway for learning now. It doesn't seem like, because what what I've seen is when somebody does sort of turn around and go like, oh, I am... So I'm going to support these rights now or something like what I get on this side is too late. <laughs> like, oh, you're old enough to know better. You know, it, like it's, it's just sort of we're not giving any room for growth. You know, it doesn't feel like. Yeah. It. Well, I'm just hearing this place of um, <clears throat> like you can believe and love and change and all this. Can you do that without othering? Right. Like, right. Or can you do that with people who don't think the exact same thing as you? This is a good pre- preface because I think because you're going to be having Monica on. I too. think Monica's episode might be after this one yes. when this comes out. Mm-hmm. Is... Nice. Yeah, and her whole book is about curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait. My to husband talk to her. read it on vacation while we <laughs> while we were on vacation last week. That's awesome. And I was like, yeah, it was just it's it's a good book, but but I I also love that curiosity has also come to the forefront. And is very prevalent in a lot of stuff I see on social media. You know, a lot of people who are like, oh, I got my, I did my thesis on that. Or, you know, <clears throat> that type of stuff where people are talking about it more and valuing it more as a tool. Mm. You know, 
And also, I think a connector. You know, absolutely. We, I think that's how we try and use it. You know, can really. And I'm hoping that um, this greater orientation towards curiosity will allow for that shift you were talking about, Marika, for for when people might want to change their perspectives or ideas. Because what, what I've observed, again, going back to the judgment idea, is that what you believe today is what you have to believe forever. Right. And if you don't, then you're wishy-washy. Right. And I, I, I really like uh, how you describe it, Luis, instead of asking, you know, where am I or who am I is where am I? So if we thought about our beliefs that way is instead of our, my belief is defining who I am, this is just where I am right now. And mm-hmm. my belief couple, a, a week, a month, a year from now may change because of where I am. If we could allow for that more with this orientation towards curiosity, I think that would be to uh, our benefit. Well, you know, I love that. And as you're saying that, I think of this like ongoing inside joke we have uh, in our team with how much I've changed my mind. It's <laughs> <laughs> not even a joke. It's, it's not a, a reality. Joke. You are so serious, dude. <laughs> yeah. And Camille the other day was like, "I'm. Re- you've really helped me build my capacity for changes because it, yep. it used to trigger you. And now you're like, oh, okay, changes mine. I'm going to reschedule the podcast. You know, mm-hmm. I, it's like, I wonder what it's like for you two who are on the administrative and assisting and like reaching out to people on that end when you're with someone who truly believes in curiosity like i a hundred and i i I would believe in it for you too as well like i think i think it is always about where i am and right now i might be like on friday we should totally do this thing and then on friday i might be like i'm not doing that thing there really is. <laughs> that is exactly what it is. That's exactly how it goes, by the way. Dear reader and listener, that is exactly how it goes. <laughs> and every time I do it, I'll get like a I'll get like a like one or two syllable response, like text message from Marika, and I'll just start laughing out loud. <laughs> so I know she's like, okay, aka I have to redo everything. Yeah. Or, or, or when I have no capacity, it's a very weak thumbs up. <laughs> Yes, I've noticed that. <laughs> and I'm, it's so funny because I'm like, oh, okay, thumbs up. Yeah, we're doing that thing. Okay, thumbs up, whatever. But, but I realize there's also a difference. Like sometimes I send you the yellow thumbs up. Like I'm really not into it. Sometimes I send a brown thumbs up. I'm the, brown. So. The, the Simpson thumbs up is like yeah, a like real... this is an embodied thumbs up. Like <laughs> that's right. Simpson one's like I am so not into this right yeah, now. I'm, I'm, like, I'm like... going back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to. Do you two and be honest with me here? Do you two feel within my how do I say expressing of my shifting nature and capacity? Do you two equally feel like? Oh, this invites me to do that here too, or does it feel like I can't do that? Only he does. Oh no, absolutely. I was I was gonna say that that's that's what I like. Like I remember one time we were supposed to have a meeting. I was like, I'm in the midst of some yoga. My body really needs. We'll meet up later. And you were like, cool, boo. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, you, yeah. You... I've gotten better. I think what it is, it's it's less. I, I don't do it in the same way, but I think it's more. I've really you've helped me build my capacity for disappointing people and choosing mm. myself, mm. you know, because it, sometimes it does come off to me as selfish or self-centered, you know what I mean? Or selfish or like, but then I'm like, no, it's like, it's, you know, it's an invitation for me to like, where can I do this? Yes. You know? I love that. Where can I, and also it's your business. So, I mean, I know it's our business, but like, 
when I, if I really did disagree with something, I know that I could tell you, but Absolutely. I also, I'm like, whatever, we'll just try it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> not... Well, what's so cool to me is that two things. One, I've seen that rub off on you a bit because that it, like recently you're like, I'm going to go by the poolside in Canada for four days. I'm like, yes, yes. Go. Like, it wasn't like, <laughs> can I, is that okay? I know he was like, I'm going to do this thing. I'm like, yes. And what's really cool is everything just runs so smoothly either way. Do you notice that? Like nothing happens. No. There's this, we have this idea about our, maybe it's like a, you know, a toxic capitalist idea. I think there's positive capitalism actually, but I think sure. like the toxic idea of it is that we always have to be producing and we can't change. Like you said, Camille, we can't change our mind. We're wishy-washy. No one will take us seriously. Yeah, I, I I mean, you should have seen what Marika's had to go through in the last two years of my private practice schedule. <laughs> oh <my laughs> That's God. all I'm gonna say. <laughs> she needs some somatic therapy. <laughs> I definitely. <laughs> I'm like, now I'm triggered every time I see a Google Calendar. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, because I just, if I don't have the capacity, I'm gonna be a shit therapist. It's exactly. that simple. Yeah. yeah. And so how can I teach people to have capacity all day long and then bypass my own? That, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. Mm -hmm. but and so, it, you know, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think, it, it, or at least for me, it does go back to what you said about um, some of the things we're, we're taught being rooted in a capitalistic uh, structure. Like, I remember one of the first things I learned, like, stupid early in elementary school or middle school was um early is on time on time is late late is fired <laughs> like why do yes. i as a nine-year-old know that <laughs> and a nine-year-old with a flight response that's, yeah. the last right. thing you need to hear. that's the last thing this virgo this nine-year-old oh. virgo with a flight response needs to know okay got it on time early is on time on time is late late is fired got yes. it isn't that amazing and it's so it's so in us and it's like one of my dreams as this company has it flourished and like emerged is really what i'm trying to say blossom that's the word as we, this company blossoms more is like i want to make a company culture that's like rooted in capacity and really see if it fails or not <laughs> it's like because if it does i'm actually okay with that like i don't want to continue something that i can't and that you two can't and doesn't work for us as individuals it doesn't make any sense and so I think it'd be so interesting if, if we played with that, right, as a society, like to know we can change things. And if we have a flexibility inside of us, when something closes early, we don't take it personally. We're like, oh, an invitation to do something else, like Marika said. Yeah. I think that's where we get lost is we really depend on people. I mean, they don't show up the way we want them to. Then we, we hold it against them and we lose our whole self-connection to meet our needs. Absolutely. I mean, because again... That, that's what I was taught. If you, uh, if you're not on time or if you reschedule, it means two things. One, you're disrespecting that other person or in two, you're unprofessional. Mm -hmm. But like you said, if we took away that attachment, if we did not take someone's, uh, needing to reschedule or cancel personally, if we removed that meaning and instead allowed for flexibility, what if we said, Oh, all this means is that they don't have the capacity right now. Yeah. And in fact, I really don't want to engage with them when they don't have capacity because there's yes. really no point. Yeah. And they will have capacity yes. to give them time. It's like, yes. it will shift eventually. Mm -hmm. I love that. I'm also thinking about like, uh, what I do better now is managing and organizing capacity. Like when I know I need to push through something, a work thing or, uh, and I can't kind of, you know, <laughs> Uh, cancel or whatever it is 
like yesterday, I worked a really super long day, but I, it wasn't, but because of that, it's like, I took a break. I watched a movie with my husband. I sat down and had dinner, like, you know, and I didn't just do a straight 12 hour, you know, sat at my desk for 12 hours. Like I made sure I was like getting up. I, we went for a walk, like, and then because I'm pretty tired today, like I've already planned out when I'm sleeping in this week, like I how I'm going like, to reward myself for getting through this week. Like, you know, and so it's not just this constant, you know, pit of despair that I can't climb out of. It's, it's like, oh, I can make it work for me. I still need to do these, these things, mm -hmm. but I also am sort of taking care of myself along the way and planning things to look forward to you know so that my that like lights me up you know i don't know don't ask me why but as you're saying this i keep seeing mcdonald's and i'm like <laughs> happy donald's <laughs> this is how the adhd brain works i'm like i'm seeing, I'm seeing like i'm i'm seeing a mcdonald's uh, actually the one i went to as a child all the time i frequented mm. often <laughs> and, and i'm 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 remembering that experience of when you're in line at a mcdonald's Mm -hmm. And people are getting really angry because they're waiting for the food or like they didn't get ketchup, you know, whatever it is. And they're going up and like yelling at the staff. There's this like non-relational element that we have in our larger societies. And I just imagine what if it was capacity based? You know, I envision there's someone at a table eating fries and someone's yeah. like, when's my food going to be ready? And someone goes, oh, here, I have some fries here. Eat some with me while, while you wait for your food. It's like we can that easily... Mm -hmm. lend the capacity to someone and nurture them and, and and help settle them and bring them into a place of safety if we just see each other as relatives mm -hmm. and and that's why i'm so obsessed with you know relationality because mm -hmm. without that there's this there's this constant domination that's happening like dominating the employees like yeah. dominating the space like getting frustrated with someone when you're you got a small fry instead of a large it's like these things that are are really first world problems but yeah. also it, it comes from that place of this isn't a relative this is someone that should be serving me i, I just get curious mm -hmm. about that balance well you just have to go to the same mcdonald's so much that they know your name and then you are like family. <laughs> ah, that's my style actually <laughs> I love that. I, I like, I mean, we don't need to do at a, at a McDonald's, but I, you know, I love the relating part. I see how when I used to do things, I, it was more for a response or for validation or, um, and now it's like, oh, it's, it's for relating, <laughs> you know, it seems so simple, but it's like, oh, yeah. how long, how many years I didn't relate. Yeah. I thought I was. Yeah. Isn't that cool? But, yeah. But it was like a one-way street. Yes. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, I'm all for the two way street or mm -hmm. whatever, 12 way street. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you have capacity for. Exactly. I've found um, that time, time has been a big part of me having capacity for mm -hmm. relating. I think because we have such a transactional society and it's all like producing, go, 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 I got to get as much done and as little as possible there isn't the space for relating. And so there is that, why, why aren't my fries ready? Because I need to be at work in seven minutes. Because if I'm not at work in seven minutes, then I'm going to be late for the meeting. If I'm late for that meeting, then that report's not going to get in. Da, 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 da. It's just, it's just this, um, this snowball effect. But if we allow ourselves more space and time, then, okay, I got to... You mean I got a few extra minutes to chill out in this McDonald's line? Let me let me just hang out a little bit, because mm -hmm. um, I, I found that myself. I, you know, I've been in in line, like at, at, the, at the drugstore and the the pharmacist. Oh, I'm so sorry, it's taking so long. 
no worries. I'm just going to chill out. There's mm. nothing for, for you to apologize for because I, I have space. Now that pharmacist is more than likely interacting with people who are on a very, very, very tight schedule. Um, and so when things are late, they're more than likely encountering people who are really upset and activated and triggered. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just find like allowing myself to have more space and time allows me the opportunity to relate. Mm. I and think that's so beautiful. Space and time. Yeah. That's right. That's exactly you know, like right. As somebody who was in uh, customer service forever, like I always loved that, that client or whoever was like, totally got to take your time rather than the one mm-hmm, who was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. Yes. It was like a gift when they came, right? Yeah. And so it was just like, and I would always give way more to the, those people, you know, because they gave me a little room to breathe. You know, this is so nice because it actually makes me think of all the times I've sat next to someone dying. Um, I'm one of the rare people that loves death. Yes, I will say that. That was another thing on the list. We want to say that does not surprise me. (laughs) You know, it's like I'm not. I'm not saying I love to kill. That's very different. Like I love the cycles of life and death so much that when someone's dying, I get so excited. I hop in my car and I don't care how far they are. I go right to them and I'm with them till they die, because there is this um there is this magic that occurs where everything you thought mattered doesn't when you're with them and there's this what well, you were talking about time and space and when you were saying about marika about them gifting you like you can feel that you know from the customer their their dying body gifts me this incredible space to be in this kind of timelessness with them and it's mm-hmm. just it's so profound it, it's it's pure it's medicine it's completely selfish i mean i always also love to be with their bodies so they're not alone like truly but it's so selfish i get all this just like gentle bliss Mm -hmm. and it's almost like it teaches my body how to die yes you know Mm -hmm. like we don't we don't have death in our lives in this culture so it's like we don't have someone just dying even you know our ancestors all of our ancestors cultures you know a couple generations ago you just die in the house and your dying body would be there for days sometimes people would come see it and they would you know kiss you and like hold you but it's so removed yeah but when i watch someone's body die i realize oh it's teaching my body how to do this someday it's like they become my teacher mm. yes yes you know i i i too um <laughs> i was gonna say i love death um but um it's it, <laughs> it, 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 it's it's i i i just feel like there's a lot of wisdom in death that our culture can't tap into because death has been overcoupled with so many things, um, in my opinion, particularly finality. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think part of the reason, like in the previous, uh, uh, the first episode I did talked really about how birth was a teacher for me. I have found death, in my opinion, just to be another form of birth. Like to me, it's not a yes. finality. It's a, another transition. Um, and so I, I, I find it to be really, really beautiful. And for there to be a lot of wisdom and learning in it. And it is curious to me as I watch people constrict around, mm-hmm. around death and really do anything and everything to try to, to, to avoid it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here's what I like about death. It very quickly shows me what I'm freaking out about. 
Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. a really good, it is a teacher in that sense where I'm like, that's something that I can feel the constriction coming, you know, it's often around pain. It's the unknown. It's not having any control, you know, like there's a lot of stuff that comes up for me, but I welcome it more, especially as my parents get older and, you know, and I have my own health stuff or whatever. And that's helped, you know, with being confronted with it, like, Oh, I might die. (laughs) I mean, I'm definitely going to, (laughs) but you know, in the times when I've been right up on the threshold and yeah, I really did like that. There was nothing more important, (laughs) you know, at that time, except for being with my, you know, loved ones basically. And And so it, it distills it down to something that, you know, the things that are really, really important, I think. I, but I also I don't agree. love thinking about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I think I think for me, I feel this gratitude of yeah. of the real mundane, you mm-hmm. know, when I'm connected with death, because mm-hmm. it's so like you said, Rick, like I'm gonna die someday. You know, we forget that. Yeah. And and when you actually remember and feel it, like almost every day in my mind, I'll say, Is today the day I'm gonna die? And it's not from like a paranoid place. I'm like, Am I gonna like how amazing I'm gonna leave this body? Is it going? It's gonna be today, um, and then my breath in my nose becomes this huge experience. I'm like, oh, I have breath coming. You know, all these little things that I would miss and miss mm-hmm. sometimes become these incredibly juicy experiences. Mm-hmm. The water running over my hands as I wash a dish, like these really simple things. Yeah, because I'm constantly connected to that that reality that I'm not. I'm not important. I'm not above anything. Like I'm equally going to die. And I find that so <laughs> grounding, you know, for some I mean, reason. Yeah. I, you know? I totally understand. I mean, I, I can totally understand that. I can, can totally understand that. And yeah. and I've learned so much from like reading books, you know, about death and like following people who really are trying to to spread death practices and make that and normalize that. And um but, you know, for me, in the at the end of the day, especially when, you know, talking with friends and or knowing someone's going to pass soon or something like that. Um, now, I think for me, it's being conscious of like and noticing what's coming up for me, you know, yeah. um, and just sort of and using that in any way I could. Like, I think I probably could sit with somebody, you know, as they were going through that. I've. I've um the more work I do around it for myself. Absolutely. And it's probably just really cathartic, probably. I I would think since you've done it many times, my mom talks about sitting with her mom. Mm -hmm. And I think about that too. Like, Mm -hmm. will I be sitting with my mom? Mm -hmm. You know, someday. And she told, it was a very profound experience to see her mom, soul, life, whatever it was, like, leave. Yes, And I only have a visual in my mind. So I'm like, you know, I want to be able to do that for my mom if that's, but consciously. That's so beautiful. <laughs> and not completely disassociated or in, in, you know, in two bottles of whiskey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, like there's, if I can prepare for it without preparing for it, you know, like it's probably just practice. Yeah. I know as I get older, I'm going to know more and more people. So that maybe that'll be maybe i'll just i'll come with you sometime 
I'll bring you along. <laughs> I'll bring you along. I'll fly you out next time. Mm-hmm. But I do love that, you know, what you're saying, like it, it it puts things into perspective, right? Like the washing water, wind, trees, you know, like I'm amazed at how much I'll, I'll go outside and just be like, trees. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And just grounding, you know. Yeah. Oh. yeah um I was gonna say I have a similar practice with with my kids because for whatever reason again growing up you know they're just those things that stick out in your head and you don't know why but um, I remember folks saying no no parent should ever have to bury their child and I remember thinking why not oh you know going back to that curiosity but it was just this long-held belief like so it, like, like that's the worst thing that could ever happen is if a parent has to bury their child and so one of my practices has actually been going through that process. Like tomorrow, it is possible that one of my children may not be alive in this plane. So that afford that that practice has afforded me two things. One, when I'm with them, I I really do like listen to their giggles and their laughs or, or watch them engage and explore. And then two, I've gone through the the practice of so if one of my children dies, what would happen? And ultimately I know I'll be okay, which is really, really um, sometimes triggering or disorienting for people to hear, but I know I'll be okay. I remember one time reading one of Byron Katie's books and she was talking about this specifically. And she was saying, when we tell our kids, like, I wouldn't survive without you. Yeah. or your death would kill me, like the burden we're placing on them without realizing that. Um, and I thought it was interesting. And I thought, just like you said, why not? Like, why Why does there this one narrative, just like sexuality or race mm-hmm. or gender, like why is there this one narrative of what's correct and right and everything else is um, too obtuse, right? Yeah. And I, I think it, it's, um, I, I'm actually having someone on the podcast, I don't know when they're coming on, probably next year, uh, who I was talking to as a friend and and she was with her daughter as she died um, of cancer in the hospital. Mm. And she said that she held her and she sang to her the same song she was singing her to put her to bed in the crib. And it was like so powerful when she was telling me this. I was at a hospital on the phone with her and she was telling me this. And it was just like, those are the experiences that we get invited into when we lose the binary of what's right and what isn't right, what I should be experiencing, what I shouldn't be experiencing. Without yeah. that, like without that in her head, she wasn't saying, why is this happening? This isn't fair. She should be left. I should be, instead of all that noise, mm-hmm. she was like, my baby is leaving. I'm going to facilitate it. And it was this huge moment for her and it's changed her life. And I, I, I just am so lit up by those kind of people and those experiences. Because it it shows us that, like you said, Camille, in every situation, if we don't have the clutter, if we don't have the activation, like what we're attuning to, there is the safety that we can actually access in almost every, I'm gonna, I'm going to go for it in every situation. <laughs> I'm going to go for it, you know, because like, we've all learned this from uh, Holocaust survivors. We've learned this from people who have been near death, who've been trapped, who've been held hostage, some of them find a moment of peace, even knowing they're going to die and then they're saved, you know, but they they were ready for it and they got really still. And without that noise and again, the attunement and the pushing against what's real, you settle into your reality and you find something about it that you're okay with. I mm-hmm. think that's a miracle. That's what a miracle is to me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
I totally like the ability to just, I was going to say surrender, but um, really to release the stories that Mm. we create. Like, this is what my life should be, or not even just my life. This is what, like you were saying, all, all, all lies or or, Mm -hmm. uh, categories. Like if we could release the stories and then just accept things or welcome things as they come. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've found that to be really, really helpful for me. Mm-hmm. I love that. But also, they're very much 100% in the present. Mm. You That's know, right. which is not often our normal state of, you know, of being. Yeah. So that's what I love about it. It's like you're just, it's just you mm-hmm. and the breath. Mm. It's so true. So beautiful. I'm wondering, you know, before we close, is there anything else on the list that's like, a question that we could all answer or something we could all share, whether it's silly or deep or, you know, whatever it is or anything that comes up for even either of you, like, let's do this, or I know this, or I wonder this. Oh, maybe we could do this quickly. So we talked a little bit about detachment and a question we've gotten is how do we know the difference between detachment and dissociation? Maybe we can answer that quickly. Mm Mm-hmm. Should I answer first or do you two want to go first? You go first. <laughs> yeah. Okay. When I think so, dissociation for me is I don't feel my body. So there's a the mind and the ability to sense is separated from the body's physical sensational experience. Detachment, I'm I'm with my body. I'm not feeling the experiences of that other thing. I'm seeing it, but I'm not taking it in. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at a tree right now. I'm not that tree. I'm my body. It's so easy to tell the difference. Different when it's a person yelling at you, right? So that's to me, I'm detached, right? Whereas if I was dissociated right now, I wouldn't even feel my arm touching the desk. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I go with it. What about you? Yeah, very, very similar. So for me, dissociation is that that um either the 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 leaving of the body, the disembodiment, or even the the willful the denial of the current situation for me that that's dissociation i'm not going to take in what's happening versus detachment is sort of like what i was talking about before detaching from the story of what should be so for me detachment is releasing the shoulds still you're still in a very embodied space in fact you're even more present because like marika was saying uh yeah you're you're just absolutely present as opposed to attaching to the shoulds or yeah the story um my answer is a combination of the two of your answers (laughs) (laughs) which is also by the way the shortest answer <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It's a, really for me, it's embodied versus not embodied. Like, I can be detached in any situation, but still, like, there. But you know, right. the first thing I thought of dissociation was me just on the couch eating fried chicken, and I have no idea what I'm doing. I, it's one of my favorite ways to dissociate. No, I don't eat right. chicken anymore, but I used to. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, vegan chicken. But yeah, just sort of not even looking down and going, what happened? <laughs> Can I tell you my fried chicken memory before we go? Yes. Yeah. So I used to work at Hershey Park in Pennsylvania when I lived in Pennsylvania as like a games operator, Mm. which means you have to like scream at people and ask them to come play your game for like 10 hours. 
100 degree weather. What? And so I did that for a summer and I would be so exhausted from screaming and yelling and, you know, teenagers throwing things at me, just like nightmare land. (laughs) That I would, my mom would pick me up, we'd drive home, I would stop at KFC. And they had at the time, I know they still do these like fried, long, like tenders that were dipped in honey barbecue sauce. And I would. It's like, oh, I know. (laughs) I got it on speed dial. So it was like, I would get the largest one. I think it was like a 12 piece with like four of those biscuits. You know, those biscuits they had. Oh my God, yes, the biscuits. I would go home, take a shower, and I would lay on the couch. I'd watch something mindless, and I would just be eating those. And it was like, it was like my favorite part of the day. Yeah. I mean, I get that. that. (laughs) It was amazing. I haven't been to KFC in a while, and by that I mean it's been a, like maybe two months. But <laughs> <laughs> I eat better fried chicken. I can afford better fried chicken. <laughs> but you know, sometimes you know, nostalgically. I used to work at Subway. That was my first job ever. I was a certified Subway sandwich artist. Oh yeah. Uh, Why was that on your resume when you when when I hired you? <laughs> my my last boss got mad because I put that on my LinkedIn. That's all I did. <laughs> like, can you put the job that you work at now? I'm like, all right, fine. But yeah, I and I don't Subway's not good. It's terrible. But I still crave it. Oh, I get I it. Crave I crave it. that damn tuna fish sub. The tuna sub with like the yep. oil and vinegar drizzled over it. That yep. was my jam. My yeah. closet boyfriend were, was a manager of one of the subways when I was like <laughs> 17, 16, Wait, 17. I also I dated an assistant manager at Subway. <laughs> We both Man, did I, it we in a subway Yeah. <laughs> but he would hook me up with like all the fix-ins. That was mm-hmm. good. That was good. Oh, gosh, that's a, I can't believe we have that in common. I'll be telling my more unsavory subway stories off of the podcast. But okay, yes. that sounds good. I have some too. Don't worry. I have some too. If you can imagine. But <laughs> Kimmy, what's, so what's going on in your mind right now? You're like, let's get no, off. It's time thinking, for our meeting. Or do you, do you have something? No, we got into an episode just on jobs because I'm like, wait, oh, you yes. worked at Hershey Park? Yeah, when did, how did we not know that? Like, <laughs> I, I forget. Like, How's it every time we talk, you're like, oh, yeah, and then I used to work here. I feel like one day you're like, oh, yeah, I was a firefighter for a while. And, yeah. uh, and then I was a state senator in Vermont. Like, really? That's wow. where I would be. That's the only state that would hire, like, would lick me as a senator. <laughs> no, yeah. No, I've had probably 25 jobs. I mean, it's so many jobs right. in my life. But yeah. I haven't had KFC for over 20 years. Well, yeah. So it's actually been a long time for me. And guess what? They'll outlast us all. <laughs> it's still in my body. Is that what you mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like cockroaches. Yeah. It's my body still trying to break down those honey barbecue chicken tenders. Well, like if you eat enough, yeah. <laughs> oh, I eat enough. I eat enough for everyone, believe me. That's okay, true. we're gonna end on that note. Thank you, my friends, for listening oh. to us. I love having you two here. It's so fun and easy. <laughs> Uh, We're going to hop off and have a meeting now. So y'all have a good day and I'll see you at the next episode. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. My question for you is, where do you feel the episode? Take a breath and just notice. What's your body doing right now? Sit with it. Let it speak to you. And let whatever comes up, come up. And your only job is to listen, for all the wisdom you need is right inside of you. 
to learn more about my work, you can visit holisticlifenavigation.com and sign up for my mailing list. You'll receive a weekly newsletter with specific monthly topics, free resources, and upcoming events. You can also follow me on Instagram. If you like my podcast, please leave a review and share. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Did you know your food cravings are actually a doorway to your subconscious? They are. We tend to see cravings as something bad or something we just give in to mindlessly. But when you embody your cravings, you're able to notice they're just blossoming from a certain place that has a certain need and needs your attention. Join me on Wednesday, May 29th, as I unpack this in a new webinar called Cravings Destigmatized. In this webinar, I'll help you learn the difference between a nutritional craving and an emotional craving, as well as how do we use cravings to get in touch with our unmet needs and any of our unconscious, unprocessed emotional experiences. It begins at 4 p.m. Eastern, and everyone who registers will get a replay. You can find the link in the episode details, and you can also go to www.holisticlifenavigation.com and click on events, and the information is right there. Hope to see you there.